I want everyone to look to your left at uh, the banners that we have hanging on the wall just to remind us of our vision statement. Connect with God, unity of believers, and restore all things. I, I hope when we uh, assemble together, uh, whenever it might be, whether it's a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever we might be in here, that we'll just kind of get into a habit of, of looking over to the left and just reminding ourselves of our vision to connect with God, the unity of believers, and to restore all things. And, and I, I, have, I have tried to do my best to, uh, to fully understand everything behind that vision and, and have tried to, to preach some lessons emphasizing various aspects uh, of, of that vision. Because a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of study, a lot of prayer went in to this vision. And I, I think it's a good vision. It's a great vision. And, and it begins with connecting with God. And, and so let me, let me read what, what that means directly from our uh, vision, vision statement. Again, just so we, we understand, and this is constantly before us. What does it mean to connect with God? Here's what it means. We will continually seek a deeper connection with God through sincere worship... In spiritual disciplines, we will reach out and make disciples that do the same. Well, we have, we have gathered this morning uh, as a body, as a church, corporately, uh, to encounter God, to approach God in worship. And, and as, as Brother Mac reminded us just a moment ago, we, we worship God in, in a number of ways, corporately when we come together on Sunday morning. But our vision statement, Connect with God, includes two other things. And, and so I want us to understand this morning that connecting with God is more than just coming to church on Sunday morning. And, and it's more than just singing and praying and giving and listening to preaching communing, and I always include announcements in acts of worship. But, but it's more than that. Right? It's, it's also spiritual disciplines, and it's also, as disciples, going forth and making disciples. As we continue through our summer with the Psalms this morning, we will be studying Psalm 15. And, and I read this text just, just a moment ago, and, and I would like to suggest to you this morning that this psalm uh, comes right or goes right with connecting with God. And what David describes here for us, I would also like to suggest, is spiritual disciplines. Now, normally when we think of spiritual disciplines, at, at least I, I think this is normal, we usually think about things like uh, reading scripture, praying, a, a quiet time alone, maybe meditation, 
if, if we are a fan of someone like Richard Foster, he would include uh, things like simplicity and fasting, D- disciplines, if you will, um, activities, if you would want to use that word, that are designed to draw us closer to God. And, and yet I find it interesting that David doesn't mention any of those things. And, and this is a psalm in which he is trying to connect with God. This, this psalm of David technically is, is not a song. It's, it's technically not a prayer. It's really not even words of thanksgiving like typically we find in the psalms. It's, it's more wisdom. It's more teaching. And the psalm begins with David asking this critical question. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? It's it's really a rhetorical question because God certainly knows the answer, right? And and David also knows the answer because he's about to give it to us in verses 2 through 5. And and even though though sacred tent and holy mountain refer symbolically to the same place, there does seem to be some progression here with David's language. Uh, Dwell might be better sojourn, and when it is paired with tent, might suggest just a temporary habitation that it's not something that will be long in its occurrence. But he also uses the word living on a holy mountain, which might suggest something a little more permanent. In in fact, uh, a number of scholars suggest that holy mountain is a symbolic reference to where the temple would eventually be. Of course, we know David didn't build that temple. Solomon did. And and it becomes a permanent residence of God among his people. So, So regardless, the basic question is, who may remain in God's presence? Whether it be for a moment, a night, or hopefully a lifetime. Who is it that is invited or welcomed into uh, God's presence? So, again, a very important question, a very critical question that we might ask as God's people. And so in verses 2 through uh, 5, David gives this challenging answer. You know, the, the old Jewish rabbis uh, used to talk about how you could find 613 commandments in the law of Moses. And as, as they debate this in rabbinic literature, uh, one rabbi in the late 3rd century, I think his name was Samal, he said David reduces the law to 11 attributes or 11 virtues that we find here in Psalm uh, 15. And when we, when we work through this list, 
we see that it is a catalog of what we might call moral attributes. And they all pertain to a person's obligations or relationships with other people. Again, you, you don't find um, fasting and meditating. I mean, there are other places for that. Or, or we, we would maybe put it in the context, you, you don't find church attendance. You don't find uh, uh, Bible study. You don't find prayer. But these moral obligations to other people. And so here are the 11 traits that David lists. Those, those characteristics in which if a, person, if a person's life is, can be described in this way, they are welcomed into God's presence. A blameless walk does what is righteous, speaks the truth from the heart, utters no slander, does no wrong to a neighbor, Cast no slur on others. Despises a vile person. Honors those who fear the Lord. Keeps an oath even when it hurts. Does not change their mind. And finally, lends money to the poor interest-free. Again, who's welcomed into God's presence? Who may kind of camp out with God in his tent? It's, it's the person who is a person of integrity. It's, it's a person who understands the importance of, of how they relate to other people. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19 verse 18. I looked at, at several other translations of, of Psalm uh, 15. And I really like the way the easy-to-read version translates this uh, Psalm of David. Only those who live pure lives do what is right and speak the truth from their hearts. Such people don't say bad things about others. They don't do things to hurt their neighbors. They don't tell shameful things about those close to them. They hate those who fail to please God and honor those who respect the Lord. If they make a promise to their neighbor, they do what is promised. If they loan money to someone, they do not charge them interest, and they refuse to testify against an innocent person, even if someone offers them money to do it. So again, what, what David describes here is a person of honesty, a person of integrity, a person who takes uh, the relationships that they have in this life with other people very seriously. And so the psalm uh, concludes with this, this very comforting kind of conclusion. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. So, so even, even though I, I, I believe what... what David writes here is more of a description rather than a prescription. 
The psalm concludes with emphasizing that these are things we do, things we execute, things that we perform, things that we maintain in our lives, things, again, that are very important to us that we keep on doing. And, and so I think there is this persistence implied in the way David concludes this psalm. But the comfort comes in knowing this type of person will never be shaken. Now, if you go look up that word, one of the uh, definitions or one of the synonyms suggested in word studies is the idea of being dislodged. And, and I think that that is very appropriate with the way this psalm begins about being welcomed into God's tent or, or being welcomed living on God's holy mountain. Once we take up residence there, we won't be dislodged. God has, has welcomed us in. And, and in that sense, we, we won't be shaken. We have a place to live. We have a place to dwell. And so again, this, this importance, this importance of being people of integrity. Our God is a righteous God. He is a holy God. And it's those types of characteristics and traits of, of people who serve him that he welcomes into their presence. So I want to suggest four things this morning, uh, points to ponder, if you will, when we reflect upon this psalm and when we think about it, what it might mean for our lives today. Well, number one, this, this psalm should cause us to contemplate our theology, or to put it another way, to think about what we think about God. I mean, obviously, in, in this psalm, David was holding God at the highest of esteem. I mean, David, perhaps more than anyone, just, just based on the Psalms that we have written and, and knowing a little bit about his life, understood God's holiness and God's righteousness. And, and the seriousness in which we should have, the soberness we should have, when we approach him, when we come into his presence. And, and so how, 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 do we, how do we think about God? As, as I was, was preparing this lesson this week, and I was thinking about this particular uh, point, it, it kind of dawned on me that as I'm, I'm reading and as I have God's word open and as I am reflecting about God, I'm, I'm kicked back in my easy chair with my feet up on my desk right under the air conditioner. Just as casual as I could be. Almost kind of nonchalant, as we might say. Well, when I thought about, ooh, you're talking about God here, you're thinking about God, I got my feet down off of my desk and I assumed more of, of, of a posture that showed respect. Now, I, I don't know that we need to go to that extreme always. Or do we? 
when, when, when we think about who God is and, and, and the fact because of who He is that, that He might even invite us into His tent, into His presence. And so I would challenge us to, to really think about what we think about God. Number two, there seems to be three basic areas of life which are emphasized here. As, as again, as we, as we look at what David has described here, and as we, we think about, he's, he's emphasizing being people of, of integrity and in how we relate uh, to other people. I'll just go ahead and one, two, three. Blameless character, righteous conduct, and truthful conversation. This portion of our lesson brought to us by the letter C. When you think about character, now blameless, of course, doesn't mean perfect. Because none of us are. But, but blameless, it's, it's, that, it, it's that phrase that you hear often at funerals. As, as a person is being honored in a memorial service. Uh, heard it recently in reference to Johnny Crawford. You know, you couldn't say one bad thing about him. That, that's what it means to have a blameless character. Not per Johnny wasn't perfect. We're, none of us are perfect. But, but we can live our lives in such a way, particularly in relationship to other people, where people just don't, don't have a bad thing to say about us. I, I mean, could there, could there be a greater epitaph for someone to, to just have that kind of reputation? Righteous conduct. We, we talked about righteousness last week from Psalm 7. And... Uh, righteousness, of course, as, as Christians is, is something God gives to us by being in Christ and because of our faith in Christ. But it also uh, challenges us to conduct, to do what is right. To do, the, our final point last week, to do good to all people. I believe it's Psalm 30, verse 3, a very simple very simple challenge. Trust God and do good. That, that's what righteousness is. And then being truthful in our conversation. You know, if you, if you started in Genesis and went to the end of Revelation, or as one of my instructors at Sunset used to say, all the way through the maps, and, and you just pulled out all the scriptures in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that deal with sins of the tongue. You'll find an exhaustive list. I mean, a big catalog. Why does God's Word have so much to say about it? <laughs> because we, we tend to be very weak, maybe, in that area. And, and so being people of our Word... Again, a part of being a person of integrity is, is being a truthful person when it comes uh, to conversation. And so these three just very basic areas of life are, are emphasized in this psalm. Again, 
you, you want to be welcomed into God's tent? This is what you do. This is what you do. Number three. Again, David, David seems to be just kind of painting a picture or a portrait, if you will, of, of this person of integrity. Right? And so reflect on this portrait and take note of your own life. I, I, I think I've shared this, I think I've shared this before. But you know, there are two times in my life. I had visited some place that I'd heard about all my life. And, and so you, you have this, this image in your mind of what it's going to be like when you finally see it or experience it. Anybody, everybody kind of with me, all right? Those two places, one was the Alamo. I, I'm standing in front of the Alamo and I turned to Lori and I said, where is it? You know, I mean, I had, I, I'd seen the movie, you know, and I had studied it in history, and I just had this, this image of this huge, huge uh, structure. This, and it's, you know, it's not that impressive looking. I mean, the thing that makes it impressive is the history behind it, the meaning behind it. The other one, I can, I can talk about this because Lori's not here this morning, but it's the Mona Lisa. Anybody seen the Mona Lisa? It's, I think it's a little over 30 inches tall and almost 21 inches wide. I mean, you have to, you know, to, eat, to even see it. So we go visit the Louvre um, in 2000, celebrate our 20th anniversary. And, you know, Lori cannot wait to see the Mona Lisa. Well, she's got me excited about it. Because, again, I have this, this, this image, this image of just this huge painting. And, and, and so we, we go into, well, we find out that it, is, it has been displaced. It's, no, it's not in its normal place. In fact, a very special room that I think was finished in 2002, it has its own room now. It's, it's the only portrait in this large room. But at this time, it was in another, another hallway, and so we're turning the corner, and I see just this massive throng of people, and, and they're all, you know, all up to this little bitty portrait. And I said, Lori, I wonder what they're looking at. She said, well, they're looking at the Mona Lisa. I said, What? I mean, that's, that's it. I, I still have a bruise. <laughs> still have a bruise from the elbow I, I received. And, and finally, you know, you kind of work your way through there and you, and you kind of part with, through all the, all the people and there she is. It's, it's the Mona Lisa. And, and one of the amazing things to me was, was how... Uh, Obviously, students right, would, would stand there with, with their pencils and, and their pads, and, and maybe they're sketching, or maybe they're taking notes. And, and we, walked, we walked by this particular room at, at least a couple more times in our visit to the Louvre, and I, I would notice how those students would just stay there and, and just studying this, this masterpiece. On, on most 
you know, most list, it's, it's the number one painting in the world. I mean, I mean, in the history of humanity. And it's 30 by 21, you know. And the, the, the point being, these, these students are learning. They're, they're studying. They're, they're looking at technique and the use of color and, and how Da Vinci, you know, uh, painted this particular portrait. I'm not an artist. I mean, if Lori is up here, she could do a much better job than, than what I'm doing. But they're trying to learn. They're, they're, they're trying uh, to be able to adapt and, and use that in their own uh, painting and, and sketching. And, and I think that's what David wants us to do here, to, to study this portrait and, and, to, and to reflect upon it and, and to take notes and, and, and apply. What can we learn from this? You know, how can we improve our own lives and, and again, our relationship with other people? And, and so, so now, now maybe, we're, we're moving from connecting with God to this idea of unity and, and being patient with each other and being committed to one another and treating one another in, in a loving and kind way. And then number four. There were, there were a number, there were a number of, of scholars in, in several of the uh, secondary sources I looked at in preparing this lesson who, who made the suggestion that, that maybe these questions were asked in ancient Israel when they approached the temple to worship. And, and so uh, they, they would arrive at the temple, maybe before they prayed, or, or maybe uh, before they offered a sacrifice. Uh, a, a, a priest would perhaps ask them this, this question. And, and again, with the, with the point of, of reflecting upon where they are in their life. So if, if, you want, if you want to use that, okay, then, then what the worship uh, that's described here for our context, it moves beyond Sunday to Monday through Saturday. Again, how, how are we living when we are interacting with people all during the week? And, and so again, our, we're, we're, we're expanding maybe our, our kind of typical uh, concept of, of worship. Certainly it's something that we come to and experience together uh, between 10 and 11, 15 on, on Sunday morning. But, but based on, on this psalm, right, it, it continues then Monday through Saturday and, and how we respond to other people. And so now we're back to discipleship and being a disciple. And, and not only thinking about meditation or fasting or Bible study or prayer uh, or corporate worship as being spiritual dis disciplines, but righteousness and being truthful and not uttering slander, not doing any wrong to our neighbor, honoring those who fear the Lord, being people of integrity, being people who are known as being trustworthy. 
that, that those also are spiritual disciplines. As I was, as I was studying this psalm again, this, this psalm that was composed by David, I couldn't help but think, and, and, and it would be interesting to me to know when he composed this psalm. I mean, think about, think about David's life for just a moment. He's, he's entered, uh, he enters uh, the Old Testament historical narrative when he's, when he's a young boy, perhaps a teenager, and, and continues right through as a shepherd to one of Saul's assistants uh, to eventually becoming king. And, and it was not always a bed of roses, was it? I mean, I mean, there were times when David struggled with his own integrity and his own truthfulness and, and giving in to temptation. And so, I, 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 again, I can't help but wonder, when did he, when did he compose this psalm? He, he experienced so many peaks and valleys in his own life often struggling, as, as I mentioned, with integrity, faithfulness, truthfulness. And so when you think about that, there's, there's almost some irony in this psalm. Is this the standard that judges him at, at that point? I mean, is he, is he at a point in his life um, that, that maybe we, we read about when, uh, perhaps after the Bathsheba incident, we, we have Psalm 51 that evidently was written during that, that time, time period. And, or, 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 or maybe it's immediately again after he's confronted by Nathan the prophet uh, on the Bathsheba thing. And he's thinking, wow, here I am blessed. Here I am king. Here, here I am a servant of God. And I've lied and I've covered up and I've committed adultery and all sorts of things. Does, does he write this in judgment of himself? Or, or is, is the crisis of character something that, that he, he has learned and he's dealt with? And, and he's passing it on to future generations. And so, so the application, as we conclude... It is where, where are we in our life? I mean, are, are we, we at a point where we need to be reminded of some of these things? Are, are we at a crisis point in our own character? And so this becomes reminders. This becomes a challenge to, again, be the, be the type of person, of course, in our context, through Jesus that is welcomed into a relationship with God. Stephen's going to lead us in another song. As we stand and sing this song, if you need to respond to the Lord this morning, we can encourage you through prayer. We're here to assist in any way we can. Please come while we stand and sing.